Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network is a Moonsault Media production and is intended for private use only. For more information, contact RetromaniaPodcast at gmail.com. Hey everybody and welcome to Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, a retrospective pro wrestling podcast network where we romanticize, fantasize, watch and review your favorite or not so favorite storylines, matches, events and or feuds from your pro wrestling past. I'm one half of the hosting squad and we are catching up with the month of November 2020. I am joined here with the mayor of kicking out at two, Dave Rosenbluth. Dave, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? How's it going? Oh, you know, just living the dream. It's fall over here in Maryland right now, and uh, the leaves are falling, the rain is falling, and uh, yeah, things are falling into place, needless to say. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the world has uh, gone through, the uh, United States specifically has gone through a hell of a year, 2020. We've talked about that plenty. Um, and, uh, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty the last two months of this uh, this year, 2020, we had a, a presidential election um, and one of the most historical ones of all time. And, uh, you know, th- that's going to be kind of the basis of the theme of this episode is politics and wrestling, because... Uh, we don't really want to talk politics on this show because we want it to be fun for the wrestling fan. And uh, if you want to talk about... politics, go on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know go I mean? on fucking Facebook. Yeah. If you want or, to do that or Parlor, whatever. The, yeah, I just found out about that recently. Parlor. I don't uh, know what Parlor is. Yeah, I guess it's like another social media site where like they 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 don't censor people on their political views there's no fact checking i could be mistaken but it seems to be the alternative these days cuz people who talk politics and if they get banned or on facebook or their posts are restricted they blame zuckerberg and it's not a free world and everything else and it's like yeah. just don't talk politics on facebook just you know don't don't be an asshole about it you know yeah it's like, don't mix your politics with my wrestling either yeah, um exactly, so yeah. so what we're going to do is basically which a, a great idea by you dave um breaking the fourth wall here cave abe um you came up with this idea maybe talking politics on this episode um and how much politics kind of intertwine in wrestling and the politics of wrestling um but before we get into that let's talk about what you got on your stream kicking out at two and the archive for retromania pro wrestling podcast network i know you're dropping a lot of content coming in december you got the month of november here too um let us know what's going on and where we can find you dave very cool uh november yeah it's uh it's it's a filled month we just um we have uh uh Trading places. What if Vince screwed Sean? Of course, it's Survivor Series season. You got to talk about the Montreal screw job because if you don't, then you're not an official pro wrestling podcast. I mean, who who doesn't talk <laughs> about the Montreal screw job? You know, I mean, everybody talks about the Montreal screw job. Even Helen Keller, who's blind and deaf, fucking talks about the Montreal screw job. Okay, she didn't have much to say, but yeah, but when she like, did, oh, she. Hey, hey. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Wow, you really are, man. You. Jesus. Sorry, didn't no. see that one coming, did you? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh 
man. Anyhow, how am I going to come back from that? Um, well, we talk about the possibilities of what if Vince screwed Sean. What, what happens to Bret Hart? What happens to the other major players in the WWF? Does Shawn Michaels go to WCW? Um, how does that change the wrestling industry as a whole? As we all know, Vince screwed Bret, or if that, that's what Bret says, some people say Bret screwed Bret. Um, some people say Sean screwed Bret. But we talk about what if Vince screwed Sean. Um, on uh, you know trading places, and then uh, we got a World War Three 1995 watch party. I don't subject all of you to watching the entire show, but we watched the World War Three Battle Royal from 1995 from WCW Three Rings, 60 Men, and then uh, uh, what's the other one? I'm drawing a blank here. This is my own goddamn show. Battle Bowl 1993 Blind Date Diaries. Never watched that show before, so I thought it'd be fun to recap that for the very first time. And then we close out the month of November with Survivor Series 1990 Watch Party from Hartford, Connecticut, my hometown. Dennis Dennis Levy joins me because he was actually at that show. So uh, we had a lot of fun watching that. So you can find those shows in the November stream. Uh, and then the month of December, I'm dropping them all at once. I'm not doing weekly stuff. I'm dropping them all at once. So big I got some, loads for yeah, you guys. Yeah, I'm dropping a big, big load. loads in your ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting, you're getting, uh, you're getting the money shot in the ear when it comes to all the. Uh, uh, the the content the kicking out of two is pumping out. So we have some Christmas theme episode, Hanukkah. Um, I, I talk about my action figure collection, and then we wrap up with uh, the, uh, the 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 fuck you twenty twenty watch party, which uh, you know you're gonna have to find out when I drop those streams in the month of December. But yeah, that's a that's what we got going on kicking out of two. Facebook, like us. Twitter, follow us. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Like us on Twitter, or uh, I'm sorry, follow us on Twitter uh, at kicking out two, K I C K N O U T, and the number two. And that's what we got going on over there on KOA2. Very cool. And as always, you can find our archive on Podbean, our home there, Retromania with a W. You can follow us on Facebook with Retromania at a, with a W. Uh, that's W R E T R O M A N I A, man. Um, you can always write to us if you have a request for a special episode, something to review that you want Dave and I to review, something you want us to talk about. Uh, Retromania podcast at gmail.com. And you can search for us and find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcast by searching Retromania with a W. And we have over 300 hours of content, probably more gearing towards 400 at this point and uh, over 280 episodes man we are we are we are thick in the archive here we have great Jack, shows Jack like gills dude yes but we always have evergreen content so people can go back and check out those episodes at any time the series the origin of attitude which guess what covers the origin of attitude and the montreal screwdriver but more about the basis of the characters and the story arcs building to this attitude era it's a 13 part series uh so yeah you can check that out anytime that's evergreen as well as well as uh gaijin wrestling radio some classic matches that i watch with guests there uh giving you more detail into the world of all japan new japan and uh foreign wrestling in general and uh, the foreigners that came to those territories. And then as well as uh, Marking Out the Days, a great show that Dave and I did where we covered... What did we cover there, Dave? Huh? We covered Superstars and Saturday Night. Um, oh, yeah. The Wars Before the Wars. Yeah, the Saturday Wars Before the Monday Night Wars. Precursor. Uh, yes, indeed. So we recap and both those shows on a weekly basis. That was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, about 30-something episodes and 30, uh, 35 weeks or so. Uh, and there's some bonus content. As always, you can find all that stuff as well as uh, new content from Cool Truth, breaking down AEW. Those guys do a great job there with uh, some more recent content, and uh, as well as Dave with Kicking Out It Too. So uh, a nice home, and if you'd like to be part of the team, if you have any content or if you have any suggestions, like I said, retromaniapodcast at gmail.com or drop a line in our DMs on any social media. Um, yeah, Dave, let, before we get into this topic of politics... You watched anything recently that's kind of stood out to you? Anything that was good? Anything that was bad? In terms of uh, wrestling? Wrestling. Oh, no. In terms of uh, fucking COVID. No, okay. yeah, of course wrestling. Well, I, I'm just making sure. But we're talking... <laughs> we, we've, we've mixed politics in this into this, so True. I just want to make True. sure we're on the same page. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I heard Full Gear was good. I have not had a chance to watch it. I didn't order okay. it, and so I tried. You, you sent me a link, and I just haven't had time to, to sit and watch it. So I apologize um, ahead of time if I can't keep up with your recap of things. But I have heard that it was probably – the, the, the diehard AEW fans will say it's the pay-per-view of the year. Um, most so, wrestling so, so let me do this. Let me, okay. You, you, uh, you said that you watched Halloween Havoc from NXT, correct? Yes, I did. Did you enjoy that? Because I, all right, so I, I, was I wasn't able. Show. I wasn't able to watch that. So give me yeah. your give me your notes on that, and then I'll kind of give you my rundown of AEW full gear. I mean, um, there are only really three things that I kind of took from that show. Well, actually, I should say four things. Um, the the Johnny Gargano, um, uh, Damian Priest North American title match, the spin the wheel make the deal. It was a, it was pretty much a false count anywhere match. I honestly I forgot the name of what they called the match. Because uh, they had like a Halloween name to it, but it's pretty much a false count anywhere match. That was a lot of fun. Um, Gargano picked out the victory, which I felt like Gargano was kind of swimming in, you know, he, he, I wouldn't say he was drowning in NXT, but I feel like. Um, How far I, can you go with that character? Yeah. What have we already done? Yeah, you know, like he's kind of done it all in NXT. So I was actually thinking that he was going to kind of be the Jimmy Hart to Candice LeRae, you know, kind of be like the mouthpiece manager, like her valet, her backup, um, and be involved in some of the women's angles, which, you know, that could go either way. That could be really successful or it could shit the bed. So I was I was kind of happy to see that he got the North American title again. Um and maybe he'll have a stronger, significant run with the championship as the North American champion. Damian Priest, I have a feeling like he's headed for the main roster, uh, you know, Raw or SmackDown fairly soon. Um, he's just kind of got that look and that vibe that Vince wants out of a he guy. Does. Yeah, he's like, he's like it, to me, like I feel like he's gonna be another experiment, like uh, on the level of Roman Reigns. Um, the only thing I'll say is, and we know how Vince is, and yep. you've had an episode of Kicking Out It Too with Vince McMahonisms. He's very specific on certain things. I don't know how he would feel about Damian Priest's teeth, and I'm 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 not being, you know, I I don't have the bit greatest teeth ever. I have I have a straight set, but you know, there's something about Vince when he sees something that's off with a character, he's going to pinpoint that, and I'm just. I'm in fear because Vince is very meticulous about certain things with characters. I mean, of course, he'll ignore certain things like a, a balding man that's blonde, you know, but uh, other things he'll he'll highlight. So yeah. I just hope hope that he doesn't become a victim of that. I mean, it could go two ways. 
you know, you could either he either sees potential in him and he's and he ignores it completely and it's like, well, nobody's gonna give a shit about his teeth. Or actually it go three ways. He can like I said, he can see potential in his character, ignore it and feels like nobody's gonna give a shit about his teeth and you know, he'll he'll run with it, or he sees potential in the character, he doesn't want the issue with his teeth to to you know, rear its ugly head so he doesn't get, have him talk. He get he gets him fixed. Okay, he, he, he pays oh, yeah. for the work done. Or, he likes the character, he sees it, and then when he smiles, he's like, God damn, pal, I can't push him, he's got fucked up teeth! You know? Yeah. And then, that's the end of it. So, there's three, there's three ways you can go with it when it comes to Vince. Um, I mean, I kind of noticed the teeth issue too, but I have a feeling like he's going to be like another Roman Reigns experiment for them. Yeah, like, and I'm not, I'm not shaming the guy at all. No, it's saying, uh, I, I totally get it, I totally get where you're coming from, but that's just a Vince thing. Yes. But, um, yeah, I understand completely. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that match was fun. Um, the girls match, the TLC match, the, the tables, ladders, and chairs um, with uh, Io Shirai and, um, and Candice was a lot of fun, too. Uh, the I thought the um, that, like, House of Horrors match or the, the, the with um, uh, uh, Dexter Loomis and... Um, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Cameron Grimes. That was a nice little thread to weave throughout the show with the, um, you know, the, the cutting back to like, you know, uh, him chasing them around. Then they finally made it back to the arena. Some people th- thought it was silly and hokey, but I didn't mind it. It kind of fit the purpose with Halloween and everything. Um, and then the stuff with, um, uh, what's his name? Pat McAfee and the association with um, with uh, the tag team champions, local uh, uh, only Lorkin and uh, Danny Birch. I mm-hmm. thought I think that's a nice little pairing. Those guys have needed something for a long time. They yeah. you know, and they're good wrestlers. They work well as a team, uh, but they've just needed something for a long, long time. And I think the insertion of Pat McAfee as their mouthpiece is uh, is going to help them and go a long way. And I'm I'm digging the whole you know turning undisputed era babyface. So overall, I thought it was a solid show. Um, you know, I like that they had the wheel, and then they had the pumpkin, and they kind of decorated the set with Halloween theme with the spider webs. People were dressed in their costumes. Overall, I thought it was a fun night. Uh, so I enjoyed NXT Halloween Havoc, and uh, I hope they keep the the you know the, the Halloween Havoc tradition alive, whether it's an NXT or even if it's you know on Raw or SmackDown. Okay, I'll have to check out the at least the uh, the North American Championship match. I'm interested to see what they do with the. Um, Undisputed Era with this angle. I, obviously, we're going towards war games as we get into team uh, territories with uh, November, December um, Survivor Series and everything. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some type of battle between Pat McAfee, the uh, Oni Lorcan, Danny Birch, and um, the Bruiserweight. Pete Dunn. Pete, yeah. Pete Dunn. Who's, he's looking shredded right oh, now, yeah. too. I think he. I think with the NXT audience, he kind of adds something to that group. Um, oh yeah, you know, like because he's he's familiar with them. He's over. Like when he came out, like it got a and big. He has pop. a history with the Undisputed Era. Yeah, which makes sense for the story. Yeah, it, it it works well. I like it. I'm digging it. Um, and yeah, we'll see. We'll you know we'll see how it goes. But you know, those are the, those are the big takeaways from that Halloween Havoc show that I that I uh, that I pinpointed on that I thought were worth mentioning. Very nice. Yeah, I would. I would say Pat McAfee is is stood out, man. 
Um, I, I, I wasn't giving him the benefit of the doubt at the beginning, and uh, he, he's kind of he's kind of impressed me with the way he can run a promo and, and be the sarcastic and uh, shitty yeah, he's a mouthpiece prick. for this group. Yeah, he's a prick, and he does a very, he does a pretty good job at it. I honestly, um, you know, I thought he'd be a one off uh, with with the whole Adam Cole thing. But, uh, you know, I, 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 he's a welcome addition to the roster and, and, and being on the show every week and being a character um, and a personality. I mean, and uh, did you watch the match with him and Adam Cole over the summer at that takeover? Yep. Okay. Yep. I, I, mean, I was impressed. Yeah, it same was, with me. He did a great job. I, I, yeah. I couldn't complain. For, so, I mean, for having his first match on TV like that, man, that's better than most people I've seen. Yep. Oh, absolutely, for sure. I mean, he's, he's a world-class athlete. He did, he did some stuff that most guys, you know, I mean, he didn't phone it in. Let's let's just put it that way. Absolutely. No, he was giving it all, and you can tell he's a fan. Um, and I, the guy's an asshole, but behind the scenes, you know, he he's one of the top uh, donators for Rain, which is a uh, uh, Rain it helps rape victims for women and uh, people of Mick Foley was a part of that, right? At one point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that sounds uh, familiar. So Pat- Pat McAfee is a big uh, donator to that, so I mean, he, he at least cares in some way of other degrees of rather than being a egomaniac prick that his character might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me let me talk a little bit about Full Gear, and then we'll talk more politics. Full Gear, full disclosure, uh, I like AEW, but I'm having a hard time as you and I have talked on air and off air. Um, with trying to get down with with what's going on because of the uh, continuity of some of the storytelling that's being told on Dark, which I don't have the time to watch, um, and some of the characters feigning towards heel or face. And I know they, they like to mention in AEW it's more sports-centric, yeah. um, where you're going to have a face take, a, take on a face and a heel, and I'm trying to grasp that a little more, bit more. Um, I will say uh, I... I I was I was impressed with the uh, the matches that I will disclose uh, from Full Gear. Definitely Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega having a great match at the beginning to open up the whole show. Um, <clears throat> Don Callis joined us on commentary, and just one line here: Don Callis said that Kenny Omega transcends video games into entertainment into his brand of wrestling, which made me understand what we're watching here and we've talked about this before on our show that AEW is kind of a uh, an amalgamation of a video game mm-hmm. uh, rather than a wrestling show. Yeah. It is, but it's like a wrestling it's like a wrestling game on a on a that has a show, you know? Yep. Um, these guys are bouncing back up from moves. You don't sell so much. And then you can have random moments where, uh, you know, somebody is like, I, I just want a eight man tag tonight or something that's random, you know, to have all these guys in here and then build some stories along the way and have some ideas. And like I told you before, maybe somebody's con- taking over the remote control and switching up the characters here or there without our, our knowledge while we don't have the game on. Um, but just the the building of the the matches and the quick pace and the uh, the performance that the Young Bucks specifically and Kenny Omega put on is more video game based as far as quick pace. And uh, I, I will say that I, I was impressed with the match 
that uh that Hangman Page and Omega had. And then th- then we're talking about the Young Bucks and um FTR, which wasn't really like built into a huge I mean, all right, this is a dream match. And then there was some complications with the booking to get there, correct, Dave? Like we we had some problems with yeah. understanding the booking. The FTR almost seemed like a face and then uh, the Young Bucks seemed like they were trying to be Billy Badass heels, and then all of a sudden, uh, Matt Jackson has a knee injury that's real, actually, and uh, they get more sympathy throughout the match, and then put up, uh, put their the the choice of having a title opportunity again up for grabs in this match against the champions, but nonetheless overcoming and. Uh, Matt selling a lot. I don't know where you go from here if the guy's injured, but um, I know you wanted to build this feud, but maybe not put the stipulation at the beginning, you know? Yeah, I didn't like the stipulation at all. I didn't even like the fact that, like, all right, full disclosure, we all know Young Bucks, they, you know, are part of management. They're both executive vice presidents along with Cody and along with Omega. So we know that they have some, you know, managerial duties, Um with running AEW behind the scenes, the day-to-day operations. However, um, they haven't. They, they've 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 done their best to try and, you know, on television as characters, stray away from that. Even though the audience knows what what their standing is in the company, aside from their their active duties in the ring. So, um, I feel like in this instance, because everyone knew who everyone was. And their roles in the company that I didn't think it was necessary for just just state the obvious at this point. You know what I mean? Like the Bucks were chosen to be a part of a four way to wrestle for a shot at the tag team titles. And you know, in a in a in a ranking system that's I, we've talked about it before, that's been just bullshit from the get go. No continuity yeah. and no following of the rankings, and there's no rhyme or reason or why you know a number one ranked team isn't getting a title shot, but ranks you know three, four, and five are in the mix, um, getting it jumping ahead of one, and it's just bullshit. But regardless, if I'm gonna play fantasy Booker here, I probably would have just gone with the Bucks, just saying, you know what, like let's let's do this. Everyone wants to see this. Let's have this match. You versus us, you know, we'll make it happen because they're the executive vice president, so they can do that. And yeah. then you can kind of create this narrative amongst the other tag teams. It's like, oh, so these guys want to use their political pull now to get a shot at the tag team titles. Mm-hmm. They're not even ranked. What about the rest of us? And then you can create the story. You can create the story later on down the line with the Bucks winning, and now they got heat with the rest of the tag team roster because their management they jumped ahead of everyone else. And you can you can kind of create some story there. Instead, they went with like the very predictable pro wrestling route that that AEW fans blame WWE for by doing the number one contenders match and then having them face them at the pay per view, which is just very formulaic. I just thought and it then was kind having of having an injury angle in between and then doing an injury yeah. angle between and then saying, you know what? We're, if we can't beat you, we're never going to compete for the titles again. Well, you're fucking management, so like right. we know that like that's not going to happen. You know, and moving, yeah, moving into that, like, let's segue politically, Cody Rhodes, who did the same thing, lost the opportunity, and then he created his own championship, which 
they bit on on being the elite. I did see that recently. The Young Bucks played up that if they lost, that they they have design schemes for uh, TNT Tag Team Championships. Oh Jesus, really? <laughs> which is which is funny, but again, this is a meta a meta thing, which uh, Cody Rhodes brought up on a um, backstage, you know, or um, actually a conference call with a lot of uh, people interviewing because uh, he is the EVP. Uh, talking politics of of AEW, uh, he talked about how he got the last name back of Rhodes and he wouldn't use it specifically. And then he used it the night of Full Gear, I guess for a surprise, sure. And then he talked about how he would never challenge for the world championship and he promises that. Um, and then he puts over Darby Allen in a big way, uh, Full Gear, another standout match. Definitely watch... Uh, those three matches I mentioned, and then there's one more. But uh, Cody Rhodes, swinging the, pop- the I Quit match. <clears throat> yeah, the I Quit match, that? of course. Yeah. Eddie Kingston and uh, Moxley definitely watch that for the commentary, for the action. It looks like a real struggle. Uh, John Moxley definitely proving to me that he is one of the guys, um, uh, the one of the best wrestlers this year to carry us through this pandemic, and one of the most entertaining uh, matches that he's had. Um, with Eddie Kingston. I mean, a lot of standout matches that John Moxley has had over the years. Uh, I can Jake Hager, um, you know, Kenny Kenny Omega was last year, but I, I'm sure like we're getting to a rematch eventually. But um, John Moxley is definitely a standout. Uh, the stuff that he did with Chris Jericho, obviously. But uh, yeah, Cody yeah. Rhodes using the politics there and uh, getting a big push for. Darby Allen, and then these guys are um, basically what I was saying is Cody Rhodes talks about in the uh, the conference with everybody. Sorry, we're going all over the rails, but uh, he talks about how he presents his sports centric uh, presentation, where he's more of the sports based wrestler now. Uh, Kenny Omega transcends it with his video game and and then the Young Bucks are a blend. They're more meta style, he said. Okay. Which is the inside joke. So I guess I'm understanding AEW more and more uh, throughout the year. But uh, nonetheless, that was... I would definitely check out those four matches on... Uh, from Full Gear. Definitely okay. the Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Uh, Hangman Page and, uh, and Omega as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll definitely have to do that when I get some time. Yeah. But I heard, like I said, heard it was a great show. Um, And, you know, I haven't really heard anything bad about it. Um, I saw some pictures, saw a couple of videos on YouTube um, and some of the social media, uh, you know, AEW social media pages. So, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. And Cody's matches are always great. We talk about he's the standout from the show for us. So, definitely the Darby Allen match was great. Yeah, head and shoulders above everyone else. I think he's the overall best professional wrestler and performer on the show between, mm-hmm. you know, his in-ring work, his his character, um the his mic work, um the stories that he's telling. Like I think he's just overall top-notch like the best performer on AEW. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's segue into politics. Um let's let's get into it. Let's talk about Kind of going off the shoulders of, I guess, Cody Rhodes. Uh, Dusty Rhodes was always a politician in the way, brother, by doing deals uh, with Crockett and getting into booking. I guess yep. polit- politics, uh, being a booker, is one of the big 
political positions in wrestling, uh, deciding who goes over and who who isn't uh, going over, and where the where the story goes. Yeah, I, well, the I think you know you hit the nail on the head that you know it's a it's a political position, but it's even more political when you're a talent and you're booking. You know, and mm-hmm. in the case and in the case of Dusty Rhodes, um, there's. The narrative has always been that you know he was a very big political player and an ego uh, had a, had a big ego and you know he he knew his worth he knew his brand and uh, you know when he felt necessary he booked himself in situations that you know made himself look good but also made the the the, the promotion and the organization look good um, sometimes a lot of wrestler bookers will book themselves um, you know to protect the to protect the the brand, the promotion, the territory, uh, because they know what's successful. Um, you know, the yeah. Vern, Vern Gagne, for instance, was... Absolutely. I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, Vern, back in the days, the old promotions, the, the a lot of the times, the guy Bill Watts. who was... Yeah, at the top was the the promoter, the booker, the lead wrestler. Yeah. You know, and Dusty was that case for a long time uh, in Jim Crockett Promotions. Uh, he was the number one baby face. You know, he worked with everyone between the horsemen and the Russians and, you know, you name it. Um, and if the houses were down and they tried to go in a different direction, then Dusty would just, you know, kind of book himself to, to, to you know, to win a match. Or like, for instance, um, uh, I, I heard a famous quote from Tully Blanchard once. Um Tully Blanchard was recalling an incident that he had, an argument he had with Dusty Rhodes. Um, regarding a booking decision, I believe Tully was involved in it. I don't know if it was a tag match or a single, but Dusty was involved somehow, and basically Dusty was kind of going in a different direction creatively, and Tully just said something to him to the effect of, well, then you know what? Why don't Dusty Rhodes just book himself to face himself? So either way, he's going over. Right. Some, something to that effect. I don't have the quote in front of me, word for word, but um, Dusty had a reputation, uh, even though he was successful, even though he was popular. Um, that he, well, that gets us to the phrase "dusty finish." Yeah, you know, he booked himself um, in, in, in scenarios and situations that you know made his character come out better on the other end. Um, some people might label that as him burying other people, and some people might label that as you know him giving the rub to other guys that needed it. But, um, you know, Dusty is a perfect example of a guy who, you know, booked the territory, but also booked himself on the top of the territory for various reasons. Some of them may have been selfish for himself, and some of them may have been to protect the overall um, integrity of the promotion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, talking about Vern Gagne, like you said, and then politics heading back from that, Vince McMahon Jr. I mean, we, we we can't talk about politics and wrestling without talking about this guy taking over those territories in that time. That was a pivotal moment because before NWA was kind of like a commission, you know? Uh, yeah. NWA had control. They were kind of like the communist, you know? Yeah. Uh, and Vince comes in and takes down these little territories and areas and uh, builds his own empire. Yeah, and the ironic thing is, is that Vince Senior had a had a seat on the board of directors for the NWA out of respect. Yes. Um, from, from from information I've gathered over the years, uh, Vince Senior wasn't as big of a high ranking, um, uh, you know, um, 
member on the board, but his no. his his seat on the board was just based out of respect because other promoters respected him. He wasn't involved in too many of the big decisions, even when it came to the WWWF, um, which was the which followed the Capital Wrestling Corporation, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that his great that that Vince Vincent uh, J McMahon's Jess. father, yeah. um, Jess McMahon, uh, yeah. owned and operated. So um, it's ironic that Vince Jr. currently, you know, Vincent Kennedy McMahon today, um, you know, would would wipe out eventually all these NWA territories, you know, from the you know, given the fact that his father had a seat on the board. Like it's it, it, he he really went against the grain and really you know just in some ways I guess you could say like Vince McMahon was the Donald Trump of the wrestling business and the territories at that time because and I'm not and I'm not gonna get into politics but just to well give let's you guys, talk about it though well, well let's his just dad, give, let, let me just give you an example him, his dad gave him a year uh, to get the promotion together and then money. And he used the own pro- his own profit, so very much similar to how Donald Trump's father got him started in business as well. Correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you just to, just to kind of you know put an exclamation point at the end of my sentence here, Trump, you know, kind of came in and disrupted the political scene on both the Democratic and Republican side. You know, and I'm not, and I don't follow a whole lot of politics, but that's just seemed to be. The, the, the perspective I have in, from my point of view. When he first came in and said he was running for president, everyone mm-hmm. thought it was a fucking joke. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he comes in, he disrupts things. Even the Republicans, the party he's representing, are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, what's going on, dude? What do you, what'd you say? What are you doing? You know? And Vince McMahon did that in the territory system, you know, because mm-hmm. Vince McMahon Jr., Vince Kennedy McMahon, everyone was like, whoa, wait a minute. Vinny's boy's disrupting the, oh, Vinny's boy's going to run in my town? You know what I mean? Like he kind of yeah. disrupted things, and so, it, I in in that instance, it was a very big political move for him to come in and start you know running towns, you know opposing other promoters and 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 uh, getting TV time and, and and shit like that. But at the same time, it was very renegade because the NWA and the National Wrestling Alliance was a very pal- political um, entity within the world of professional wrestling like you said communist in some way correct and it, it and it was um it was different uh, it was a different approach because we're talking about the territories running live towns and shows and vince took a different approach in his politics uh looking at tv instead and the future and the advent of cable um and that's what kind of won the war for him um and brought him into political power if you will uh, is exposure on a national level and essentially, you know, American culture and national culture. You see someone on TV frequently, you're going to recognize them with a bigger star, a bigger promotion. Uh, you're not going to want to see NW regional things. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And to that effect, Vince, uh, by doing these territories... Uh, the war of burying the territories and buying all these TVs, uh, he, he he begins to absorb some of the members of the NWA, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the Briscoes are a big reason why Vince succeeded. And they gave up their Georgia wrestling time 
to this man and still stay loyal to him. Yep. Yeah. Vince, the, the one thing that he did that was very smart when he started going national was he presented, he sold his product as a as a world as a national and worldwide entity to these individual television markets so that they not only could he get on their channel and get on their 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 programming but he could he also sold it to them as if they were going to get more exposure because they were hosting his wrestling show as opposed to a regional wrestling show and that's what that's what lured a lot of television markets to take Vince McMahon's wrestling program and put it on before he eventually bought the Briscoes' um, share of Georgia Championship Wrestling, which I believe was a majority share, if I'm not mistaken, um, mm-hmm. and then eventually would go to TBS. And then moving on to there, the the battle with Turner. Turner just announcing that, I'm in the wrestling business. Well, I'm in the entertainment business, pal. And talking about TV then, uh, we have political stuff going on. Let's talk about WrestleMania four. And the clash, correct? Or uh, you know, well, that that was that was a big so that yeah. So you kind of go got to go back a little bit further. Um, bring us bring us into it, Dave. So um, in the pay per view business, um, Starcade used to run Thanksgiving night. They started from eighty three to eighty seven. Okay, and Survivor Series debuted in 1987, and because of the success of WrestleMania three on pay per view, WrestleMania three was the first was the first WrestleMania that was shown exclusively on pay per view. Or no, they no, they. I'm sorry, they still did. They still did a closed circuit. They they were the first WrestleMania to go on pay per view. They were still running closed circuit because I saw WrestleMania three in a movie theater with my father when I was four years old. Right. Um, so that was the first WrestleMania to go on pay-per-view. Um, so anyhow, um, Vince McMahon went to the cable companies and the satellite providers, and he had said, you know, um, you either take my show that I'm going to run on Thanksgiving night Survivor Series, and you don't run the other guy. If you run the other guy's show, you're not going to get WrestleMania. And so every, all the cable providers and satellite providers, they knew what kind of a moneymaker WrestleMania was for them. And so they decided to go with that. And very few satellite providers stuck with um, Jim Crockett promotions. And uh, that was when they moved Starcade to December after that. So after 87, they moved Starcade to December in 88 because Survivor Series pretty much pushed them out and Vince McMahon and then that's when these guys started upping the ante so Vince pushed Starcade out in November so then in January it was Royal Rumble on free TV mm-hmm. and then Jim Crockett decided we're going to run a pay-per-view in your backyard in the uh, you know Long Island and they did the Bunkhouse Stampede the same night as Royal Rumble 88. Domestically yep. domestically on pay-per-view, they did okay. The gate sucked. Not because they couldn't draw in the New York area, even though that was Vince McMahon's territory, but Crockett messed up, and they wrote the wrong times on the tickets for, mm. for, for when the doors opened. And so fans came into the show an hour late. They missed Boy. like 
like two or three matches into the show, so the building wasn't even full. I forget That's what the actual. That's gonna put a lot of butts in the seats. Yeah, right. I forget how how many uh, how many uh, fans were in attendance. I'm actually gonna Google that shit right now. Um, but, but leading uh, into that, the the TV and pay per view war, like you say, it goes it goes further, uh, pol- politicking with the pay per view companies because in the '90s, as you know, uh, uh, it went from Big Four to once every month, and uh, yeah. WCW started doing that because Turner had more capital. Yeah, um, and that's a lot of things that sway wrestling companies about who they can purchase, what deals they can garner. And what exposure can get them going um, for their political game, you know? Yeah. January 24th, 1988, attendance was roughly 6,000 people for the Bunkhouse Stampede. Wow. Wow. They ran, they ran opposed to uh, uh, WWF's Royal Rumble 1988, which was the very first Royal Rumble to debut on the USA Network. It was not a pay-per-view. So mm. they kind of went back and forth. And then it continued with... Like you mentioned earlier, WrestleMania four um, was the big tournament with Randy Savage winning the title. WCW or and Jim Crockett Promotions ran Clash of Champions, which drew more people on free television than WrestleMania four did on pay per view, which mm-hmm. is which is astonishing at that time. Um, and they and they ran with Sting and Flair. So the 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 back and forth pull with the wrestling audience. Um, was very prevalent during that time period before eventually the head-to-head Monday Night Wars that everyone talks about. Um, you know, Vince McMahon and, you know, Turner, Crockett, um, you know, who have, what have you, uh, have been going at it for years in different forms and fashions. Yes, absolutely. And then eventually coming down to politics of the TV stations not wanting wrestling and canceling it and it being... A joke in itself and WWE eventually absorbing WCW but let's talk about politics as far as WWE absorbing uh, other members of wrestling organizations and turning them into agents or affiliates or someone that'll help in the way of wrestling um, yeah. right now right now we have Adam Pierce as a, a relevant character on Monday Night Raw uh, are you familiar with Adam Pierce? Uh, from his, I mean, he's he was a, a name he's a on former the NWA NWA World Champion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, this is a guy that's been around the territories and did a lot of things in the indie scene. And what a lot of these wrestlers, the relationships that he has with Tyler Black, Daniel Bryan, um, or Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, a lot of these guys, Samoa Joe. Um, we're talking. Um, Who's the who's the British host on NXT? Um, uh, Nigel, Nigel McGuinness. McGuinness. Yeah, um, you're talking. A lot of these guys came from this ROH territory, um, so this is more in the way of present day politics, where Vince has kind of taken over, or Triple H in a way has Paul Levesque has kind of absorbed these personnels uh, of Ring of Honor. Uh, you know how much how WWE did with WCW, where they absorbed the likes of Dean Malenko, um, you know Fit Finley, um, guys that have backstage roles and prominence throughout the wrestling to make suggestions for who should be pushed and who shouldn't be pushed. 
Well, I mean, it goes further back, even you know, not just the agents, but JJ the talents, but the the talents itself. Um, you know, when Vince, you know, scooped up the territories and he he picked off a lot of guys from AWA. He mm-hmm. picked off a lot of guys from Crockett. Yes, he indeed. picked off a lot of guys from Florida, yep. um, even some in Texas. I mean, you know, he 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 cherry picked around and 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 found some of the, the the best talent to to be a part of his big national expansion. But you know, it's um, it, it's interesting that you bring up the 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 behind the scenes aspect of guys that he has. Um, he has, you know, acquired over the years to work behind the scenes and help mold the talent, and you know the the parallel that you bring up here with Triple H in the in the sense that um, Hunter um, is starting to recognize what the direction, at least in the last several years, he has he has understood the direction of where wrestling was going, and who's going to be in his cabinet. Yeah, and who exactly where? And Vince did that same thing thirty something years ago. When he recognized where Cable was headed and where wrestling was going, and he just started picking guys left and right, you know, Hunter did the same thing when he when he decided, you know, what, I'm going to rebrand NXT to be our developmental brand, and I'm going to take guys off the indie scene, and I'm going to give, you know, talents like that of that caliber the opportunity to still be able to apply their craft in the way that they, you know, in the way that they're accustomed to and be who they are. But on a brighter and bigger stage like WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's kind of segue into you're talking about Triple H and Paul Levesque and his sway, um, and a lot of people talk about when the champion has sway. Um, wh- who are some political champions that you think have had sway of burying guys or giving a guy a boost? I'm gonna start <laughs> off. Me. I'm gonna start off first with Ric Flair. He was a guy that was credited for always uh, looking for the next guy to like, kind of give him a good match and put a match on with him. I've heard stories of him putting over Brian Pillman because he noticed that Brian Pillman had a spark in the ring. And, of course, the work that Ric Flair did with Sting. Um, and that's a lot of his politicking of trying to put a guy over. And maybe Dusty Rhodes to a degree, but I think when you're the champion, you have sway of who you'd like to work with um any anything anything you can think of there in, in terms of somebody using political, a champion a champion a cha- using sway to put another guy over or to bury a talent oh well hogan's a name that's that's come up a lot dude brother um, jack yeah you know uh hogan, hogan's a guy who comes you know he he's on the he's on the negative side of that narrative amongst you know wrestling fans and you know people within the industry of someone who um you Bought know in well, his friends yeah a lot yeah you know i will say this people look at hogan and his political moves the narrative of his political sway within the business and they look at it as as a negative like you know he's just bringing these guys in to protect himself um, he kind of did that in WCW when he first came in. It was the Hulk Hogan and Friends show. But at the same time, you could also look at it. It's like, well, he's loyal to those guys. So he's given the, those guys working with him. He's given them a, a nice Yeah, they're getting a nice payday. You know what I mean? I, I can't I, I can't imagine um, Brutus Beefcake, you know, getting a shitty check to main event Starcade with Hogan in 1994. My friend till the end. Yeah. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, 
Um, so, I mean, there's there's multiple ways you can look at it. There's there is the narrative uh, that that Hogan has buried guys or has you know said that he's not going to work with this person. Brett's talked about it. Um, Hogan has used his political stroke, even not as the champion, to to kind of get things to go in certain ways in a manner. Um, one of the biggest controversies of his career, aside from the Brett one from WrestleMania nine was the Starcade 97 controversy with Sting. Fast count, dude. Yeah, the fast oh, count. We need a recount. Oh, my God, Dave, bringing it full circle. A recount. Look at that. Look at like, that. Recount, fast count, it's all wrestling. the same. It's yeah. all the same. Um, you know, the uh, allegedly, and uh, I've, I've heard different accounts of this, um, you know, they built to Hogan and Sting at Starcade. It's the big match that everyone wants to see. Hogan's on board to put him over. He's, you know, he, he, he knows where the story's going. He, he knows what needs to be done. Sting shows up the day of, the day of the show. And um, Hogan's kind of got some doubts because of... Not too tan, dude. He, he doesn't yeah, look too buff, dude. Brother, yeah, dude, jacked. Or yeah, lot, doesn't, doesn't have a tan. He's not he's not as jacked as, as, as he is. And he, you know, kind of has a feeling that, like, you know, Sting just might not be... All he might there. just be over more over than me. I mean, no, he might he might be over the hill. And so that then that led to you know a meeting with Bischoff, and then Sting was involved, and they were you know kind of going over the finish. Hogan was supposed to lose clean in the middle, um, but then they came up with the idea of doing the fast count. And then if you go back and you watch the Starcade match during Hogan's entrance, you can kind of see him talking to Nick Patrick in the ring. That's when people speculate that Hogan said to him. Just do a normal count, not a fast count. Um, Eric Bischoff has said that, you know, he instructed fast count for the finish. Hence the reason why Brett came out to restart the match. Um, And then, uh, but, uh, you know, um, Patrick forgot to do the fast count. That's what Bischoff says. There's, there's, there's a lot of negative narrative when it comes to Hogan in that situation. Um, some have even said that Sting mentally wasn't in the right place. I think he was going through some troubles in his marriage at the same time during all of this so that they felt like mentally he wasn't even there to kind of carry the ball. Um, mm. So they had to pivot and go in a different direction. But at the same time, if you think about it, it would be – look at it like this. So they go with that finish. Hogan loses to Sting. There's the controversy with the fast count, whether it was fast or not, Brett's involved. A week later, they have Sting drop the title or forfeit the title, and then they announce that him and Hogan are going to have a rematch at the pay-per-view in February. Okay? <laughs> what point would it be for Hogan to undermine Sting with that finish only to lose again a month and a half later? Yeah, politics. Um, that... But what does that do to benefit Hogan? I'm trying to understand that here because there's no I, point. I, I don't. I, all right, explain to me. I what does that was, do to I benefit think it was, Hogan? I, I think again, it's politics. It's stretching out the feud. It's getting Hogan another strong payday at the top of the card. He's in fear of his spot um, and other guys to come because once Sting vanquishes Hogan, what's next for Hogan? 
um, unless he's retaliating or they have good storytelling. And at the time, they were fucking throwing shit at the wall to see what would stick. Well, th- um, think about think about this too for a second, here, okay? You just made you just asked that question. What's next for Hogan? Well, usually in a big title match like this, you get a rematch, okay? So correct. you would you would imagine that Hogan and Sting would they would milk a rematch on pay per view, okay? And then. The natural progression of the story was Sting beat the leader, the Empire is going to fall. So eventually, the NWO would crumble, and that was what would Hogan's next focus would be, is being a big focal point of the fall of the NWO, which eventually right. they went Eventually, they went that route. They uh, just, did they, they? Well, they split, the two, they split the two factions up, and they milked the NWO brand by you know selling more T-shirts just with a different color. You know, and and but at the same time, like that, you you have to think like that's kind of like where the story was headed. True, true. Well, I mean, right, I, well, I could be wrong, but you know, continue. No, I mean that's a good point, and one of the one of the politics of wrestling. Uh, what you're talking about is the champion being there, and kind of segueing a little bit further back. Let's cycle one step back to how this Sting and Hogan thing finished off with Bret Hart and Nick Patrick in the fast count because of Bret Hart getting screwed over in the Montreal Screwjob. Of course, we're a wrestling podcast. We're going to have to talk about it briefly. But, I mean, there were so many politics behind the scenes of contract disputes, uh, character engagements, the real backstory of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Um, Really, I'm going to be a scapegoat here and say... Uh, listen to the origin of attitude, and you'll get all the detail behind every every little bit of it. Uh, Russo's side, Vince's side, Brett's side, Austin's side, Sean's side, other characters that are built over the timeline of a two-year span in this rivalry between these two guys. But uh, it was a screw job finish in the ring, is where I'm getting at. Um, quote unquote. Sometimes people say it's a work. Sometimes they don't. But that's even more in the politics of. Was it real? You know, what happened? Or, you know, you get stories from different sides. This is one of the best political stories is the Montreal Screwjob, um, which I think I think this Biden and uh, Trump thing could turn out to be much like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do you want me to touch on the Screwjob? Or, like, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want your I perspective, mean, of course. So, but this kind of gets us into uh, okay. Uh, what I'm gearing at is the Montreal screw job set off a political reaction within wrestling to where we got backstage exposure more, uh, a- and fans are now interacting with the the politics of the wrestling. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I no, I totally get it. Um, okay. It was that big. It was that big peek behind the curtain. You know, yes. where, where where fans were more involved. Um, I mean, fans were slowly involved in the political aspect of the business based on the, the the tabloid news that you would find, like on the dirt sheets, the Meltzer rags, and you know the Torch, and all those other places. Um, and also but, more the exposure of wrestling of of Vince having to claim that it's 
that it's sports entertainment under New Jersey right to get a tax break, you know, yeah. during the steroid scandal. And, but you know, it really, it really things. amped up after the after the screw job because right. you got to witness that live and in person, you know, exactly. and it was and it was broadcast on a national stage, and then they continued to acknowledge it, um, you know, on television in the weeks to follow, which eventually morphed Vince McMahon into a character as opposed to just being the owner of the company. Um, there was so much going on at that time. When you look at in retrospect now, in 1997, with everything surrounding the screw job between Brett and Sean hating each other, they had a fight in the locker room. Sean almost left the company. Um, you know, the company was getting killed uh, weekly by Nitro in the ratings. At one point, I think they were even discussing filing for Chapter 11. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm, I pretty mm-hmm, much heard mm-hmm. that on Jim Ross's podcast once that him and Vince had a discussion about um, going forward in that with that. A lot of guys had to take pay cuts, um, but you know Vince just kind of forged through and he kept going and going and um, you know it was it, it was you know it it was that moment where where people really started to take more notice of WWF programming. You know, little bits here and there. You had Austin and certain storylines. But for the most part, once that real-life political backstage issue was had to be, you know, created in front of us on camera, everyone's eyes were glued to the programming more and more. And especially when they were changing the direction of being more adult-oriented, you know, mature um, content. Um, that, pol- that political back and forth between Brett and Vince and Sean really, like I said, got people noticing. And then I was watching Raw more to see if stuff like that was going to come up because that sort of stuff is very, um, it's very controversial. It was very different. It wasn't the the status quo wrestling story. You know what I mean? And And I'm sure sure over the years it's gotten played out and we've seen that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But the original scheme of it, Wow, that was yeah. some captivating TV. And no, politics. I know it. It was wild. It was absolutely wild. Um, and in a they, way, the politics of that created a political character in Vince. I mean, we had Jack Tunney before and Gorilla Monsoon, who were like president and commissioner. But then you found out who their owner was and the guy pulling the strings, really, uh, Vince McMahon. And he took that role to a new level. And since then, wrestling has never really been the same without an authority or creative control or some type of uh, behind-the-scenes peek at the curtain, like you said. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You also have to go back before Vince and the Mr. McMahon character, okay? People give him credit because, you know, Vince McMahon really took that, you know, that dominant authority figure character and really ran with it, but... People got to give Eric Bischoff credit because Bischoff was the first one to really do it on a Dude, big yeah. level. You're right. You know, you're right. With the NWO, like he, like when when I remember as a kid when I'd watch wrestling, my father would say to me, you know, he, he's like, you know, Vince McMahon, he's the owner. I was like, no, he's the announcer. He doesn't own it. And my father would be like, no, he's the he's the boss. I'm like, no, Jack Tunney's the boss. You know, as a kid, like and I, like my father didn't really smarten me up to it. And then over time, you know, like when the steroid trial was big on the news, um, you know, you would see owner of the World Wrestling Federation, Vince McMahon, and 
from time to time when it was necessary, they would, you know, acknowledge that Vince was the owner. But it wasn't really talked about much. He was still doing the commentary, you know, weekly on television. And so you kind of have an idea that he was the boss, that he was bigger than what he appeared to be on TV. When I watched WCW, okay, you know, you know, I, I, I knew that Turner owned the company, but I didn't know who was really running it until Bischoff was kind of pushed into the NWO storyline in the beginning when he was the one that had the contact with the outsiders when they first came in. And then eventually yep. it was revealed that he was the guy that planned this thing all along. You yep. know, that he was the mastermind behind it. And it... So, for me... I don't think Eric Bischoff gets enough credit for really introducing that role. I, I think Vince and WWF saw that and was like, well, I could do that, but I could do that better. You know? Like, I don't think Vince really saw and had the foresight to think, like, you know what? I'm just going to turn myself into a heel authority figure and I'm going to be the boss and, and I'm going to, you know, rule the roost over the WWF. No, I think he saw Bischoff and was like, oh, shit. Like, He's not bad at that, but you know, I'm no. a mean son of a bitch. I could do that better. And oh, by the way, everyone kind of knows I just screwed Brett. And and yeah, bing, bang, boom, done. You know, like I just think a lot of pieces fit together in order for Vince to really take that th- that incident that took place in Montreal and turn that into a positive with his character. Absolutely, but I think in a way, um, <laughs> if we're talking about if that was a work. Uh, that realism there, man, that was a better, um, that was a better angle that was presented to us than the turn from Eric Bischoff. But then, but then Vince McMahon, (laughs) to another degree, he tried it himself again in storyline mode where it was, Hey, it was me, Austin, all along. And that was just bad. Um, but then again, when Vince McMahon and Austin, uh, you know, sided at WrestleMania uh, 17. 17 to turn heel, I loved that. Um, that was a great little turn there for the uh, guy who is in control. But yeah, nonetheless, I think great point that you have there with Eric Bischoff being one of the guys that, um, for certain, uh, you know, solidified that political role. As a and you know, Vince did do that Memphis thing back in '93 that people briefly talk about. You know, the dry run of how he would be a heel in that territory. It was in Memphis, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen the video where he like puts the Macho Man sunglasses on. And he's kind of a little over the top, and yeah, I think, and that, he, I think yeah, that was yeah. a dry run for it. So maybe that you know, in political terms, he was running for governor, and then he ran for president later. Okay, uh, that's a good way of looking at it. I like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, let's talk more about backstage things uh, as far as politics that have changed um, the route of wrestling. Maybe like an arrest or someone's uh, life happenings have changed the route or trajectory of wrestling in general. Can you name okay. any off the top of your head? Well, I mean, you know, we, we talked about Montreal. That's probably the biggest one at the top of the list. Um, the screw job itself, how that Correct. really changed wrestling. Um, a, a So you, you want like a certain political backstage. Uh, okay, contract, 
contract dispute, arrests, or drugs. Okay. Um... I would say contract dispute, the warrior, starting off. I mean, we talk about the warrior, you know, had maybe uh, put Vince in a hard situation before, and it changed the trajectory of the booking of the warrior. Um, the funeral of his father, where he couldn't make the booking, and uh, just a lot of stuff behind the scenes with the ultimate warrior not being able to show up. Yeah, he's done that um, twice. Yeah. Um, 91, he tried to hold Vince up for money at SummerSlam before the match. He was scheduled to tag with Hogan against uh, the Triangle of Terror with Sid as the special guest referee. And he held Vince up for money. And Vince, you know, he said, I won't do the match until you pay me X amount of dollars. And Vince said, okay. He paid him. And then when he got through the curtain, he fired him. Yeah. Um, and the, the the plans moving forward, from what I've heard, was that he was supposed to have a rivalry with Jake the Snake and Undertaker. Um, he was kind of already involved in something with Undertaker, but um, he, him and uh, Jake were supposed to go, you know, um, head to head for a little while. I'm not sure how that would have affected the involvement with Randy Savage in the wedding for the match made in heaven with Elizabeth. I don't know if Savage, and, I don't know if Savage and Warrior. I feel like Savage and Warrior would have teamed up. Mm-hmm. against Jake and Undertaker because right. Warrior was the one that retired Savage earlier in that year at WrestleMania. So then I feel like if Warrior didn't pull what he did, he probably would have been the guy to save Savage at the wedding that night when, okay. when the Cobra popped out of the box. And yep. then Warrior would have been the one to convince Jack Tunney to reinstate Randy Savage so he can get his hands on Jake and Undertaker. And yeah. they can kind of you know forge a, a, a tag team against them. Jordan That's just my Taylor guess. I could and, yeah. I, I could be mistaken. I could be mistaken, but that was a big one. And then, like you said, '96, he no showed a few dates, and then um, his father did pass away. But there were some issues there. Um, here's a big one that just came to memory: um, a very big political move. It wasn't necessarily a contract dispute, more as it was a creative issue. Was when Steve Austin walked out of WWE in 2002. Thank you very much. That's where we're leading to. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, Took his ball, that, went home. Goddamn it! Yeah, I didn't like the booking. Yeah, he he was, uh, you know, he was not happy with the way his character was being portrayed. He had kind of taken a back seat uh, to to Rock, to Triple H, to Hogan. Hogan had returned uh, earlier in that year. Um, you know, they, they were a loaded roster in 2002. And uh, he wasn't real thrilled with his role. And so, um, you know, Brock Lesnar was coming in, making a splash. And, you know, to his credit, I can understand why he didn't want to do the job to Brock. It was an unadvertised match that they were that they were planning to have on Raw. I mean, that's a big money match. If you're building Brock Lesnar to be the next big thing, you'd want that match on pay-per-view. Right, and you talk about you talk about how like Hogan brought in friends and everything, and he might have had his own political moves. But one thing I always know about Hogan is he always asks, "Where do we go from here? What's the next move?" Yep, and yeah. a lot of his stuff made sense. So I I yeah. see where Steve Austin was coming from. It's like, where, goddamn pal, where do we go from here? Yeah, like there was no, there was no follow up for it. It was just going to be like a clean loss on TV, and Brock was going to advance. And I don't blame Steve Austin in that sense because if you're gonna you know you're gonna put a match of that magnitude, you want people to pay for it on pay per view, and you want a big payday out of it. Like he was a smart businessman, so he got up and he walked out, and he was gone for the company for several months. Um, and it wasn't a money issue with contract; it was more so creative. And uh, 
you know, it it, it, it left a it left a big hole to fill for them at the time. But what it changed was the landscape of the company at that time, um, with a lot of newer talent stepping up. You know, Rock was part time at that point, bouncing around between Hollywood and wrestling. So Brock was the big guy that really stepped up. Um, uh, and, and I wouldn't say filled Austin's shoes, but um, people noticed him. And then you had Undertaker and Triple H, the veterans that were that were there, Kane and Jericho. But it left a it left a big hole for a lot of talents to be exposed and and get some some big time exposure with his departure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you think about other kind of things like um, w- with the steroid scandal, we had. Davy Boy getting fired uh, and Sean becoming an intercontinental champion, changing the trajectory of uh, that championship and the storyline within uh, Bret Hart becoming the champion as well. Um, yes. So we're, we're transitioning to smaller guys. Let's flash forward a bit uh, to WCW um, where we had the vanilla midgets, quote unquote. Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, <laughs> guys uh, like Rey Mysterio who were buried and buried and buried and buried and then finally get their shine in WWE. Can you give me any notes on that? Like, what, what, you know? Well, the, 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 the political atmosphere in WCW, the narrative has always been is that the inmates were in the asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, between you know, and, and there was always like little clicks. You had like you know Hogan and Savage in one click. You had Hall and Nash in another. You know, you had Sting, Luger, and the Steiners over here. You had you know the Horseman guys and Flair over there. And then you had like the Luchadors and the mid card workers. You know, so it was like different territories within the company. Um, and a lot of the bigger names, the narrative has always been is that like you know a lot of the top level talent were protecting their positions, political moves, you know, with Nash and Hogan against each other, Sting and Goldberg. Brett would be involved at some point, even though he didn't really have a whole lot of, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, action in ring action because of injuries and you know they just didn't use him. Um, so there was there was a lot of movement and you know backstabbing. The narrative that is of, mm-hmm. of, of of WCW, you know, with all due respect, I I don't like to report on anything as fact, but this is just all speculation here. Um, so those guys, you know, were looked at, um, like you said, the vanilla midgets, so to speak. Those guys were looked at as mechanics on the card. They, at the time, Bischoff and company, you know, didn't really see them as guys that were going to help move the brand forward. They they didn't see them as big draws. They saw them as guys that you know could put on quality wrestling and be mechanics on the card and and place fillers i guess you could say but didn't really see them as guys that he was going to build the company on right but tying it into politics somebody else saw the future of those guys yeah so um well if you well let's kind of circle back here for a minute um you know you said you know wwf saw their potential but you know, this is this is where this is where you know things get a little hairy and and, and political here. Is that if you really want to you know speculate, Vince Russo kind of saw stuff in these guys. Um, Russo left the WWF in the fall of '99 as the head writer, and he brought Ed Ferrara, his assistant, with him, and they both were in charge of the creative aspect of WCW and WCW Politics. at that time. They were yeah. they were WWE writers, and then they they powered their way into political high positions in WCW. Yeah, and they 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 got the book, and they changed up a lot of things. Now, 
in hindsight, when you look at the, the programming, when it was under their care, um, you, you saw a lot of disorganization. It was very all over the place, but I think the intentions were good. Russo tried to give everybody a role on the show, and he tried to use guys to their strengths. Benoit was probably pushed the best in WCW under Russo's you know, uh, supervision. Because mm-hmm. Russo saw, you know, saw potential in him as mm-hmm. being a major player. He used Brett very well during that time period. As as corny as the storylines were, and as all over and over the top they were, like he tried using those guys to the best of their potential in big situations. Booker T was a was a big, you know, a, a big Vince Russo guy. Russo saw a ton in him. Jeff Jarrett, when he would come over from WWF to WCW, Russo saw a lot in him. So Russo tried to change up the landscape and mix things up while still using some of the guys. He did push Hogan out for a little. He pushed Flair out, um, you know, but he, he used Sting. He used Hall and Nash because they were still popular. Goldberg. Um, even Sid, some of the bigger names, but he tried to mix the established talent with the um, with the the newer guys, and there was a lot of pushback from the Again, established he, guys. He kind of brought in a cabinet of people that he knew, but then he was building a new cabinet for the future. Yeah, and then of course there was the political aspect of WCW because it was so over the top and all over the place under Russo's supervision. A lot of other people in management, senior management, and even in, within Turner, they just had they had a lot of issues with the way Russo dealt with things. W- one suggestion I'm going to give a, a free plug: Guy Evans, go buy the Nitro book. Guy Evans was the wrote that book. Okay. I read it. Cover to cover, I'm telling you right now, it gives you such a clear perspective on the inner workings of WCW, not just behind the scenes, but the history behind it on a corporate level from Turner and the executives gotcha. and what they thought of WCW from the moment that Turner purchased it until the day that they sold it. Yeah, like, I've, it's I've a, divulged in the uh, death of WCW, but that was kind of more just like factoid stuff. Um, yeah, that's a lot of like dirt sheet narrative from like, you know, um, who wrote that Brian yeah, Alvarez. Alvarez. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brian Alvarez, the biggest window licker on the face. It's of all right, everybody. Thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, Brian Alvarez. Brian Alvarez. If you if 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 you told him to suck his own dick, and it would and it would benefit him, he'd still do it. Five he, stars. He, Five stars. He, yeah, he thinks it's highly of. He thinks very highly of himself. You know what I mean? If like I said, if if you told him sucking his own dick was was beneficial to him, he'd do it. Um, <laughs> and then he'd post about it on Twitter. Um, but anyhow, um, long story short, um, the the political aspect within WCW went far beyond the locker room. Exactly, it was very political within the, the the corporate offices, and that's why I highly suggest you know it's on Amazon. Guy Evans wrote the book. It's called Nitro. Um, it, it it's it's truly one of the best wrestling books I've ever written, and it's not very dirt sheet narrative. They give you a clear. Per- I mean, they they interview people within the corporate that I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. That that you know what I mean? It, it's just it, it's a, it was such a fascinating read. I finished it in like a month. It was it was that good. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. All right, let's uh let's kind of move on. Um, any any um arrest or political things that would happen to change the trajectory like rvd maybe getting arrested i was for, just thinking that yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just thinking that and, RVD. and then J- jack hager or jack swagger comes to mind as well both guys arrested for marijuana which has now become pretty 
predominantly legal around the United States and uh, yeah. kind of kind of messed up their pushes, man. Yeah, uh, th- th- those two come to mind. Um, Eddie Guerrero the- with d- substance abuse. Yeah, Guerrero, um, I don't know if he got arrested and then got fired. Um, I know that he had some substance abuse issues, um, but you know that was one of those situations where like they wanted him to get help first before they took a look at him again. Um, so I don't know if that was very politically driven, okay. but um, that, 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 at least the narrative that I have gathered right, over right. the years when it comes to him. But the RVD one's a big one because he was the WWE champion and the ECW champion in 2006, and they kind of had to make an example out of him as the, as the, the, the top guy. Um, you know, to because you know that it was a year after Eddie Guerrero's death, and they had just implemented the wellness policy, so it was Another one of those situations. Political thing, political in a good way, I feel. Yes, yes. Um, yes. You know, in the sense that like they're they're looking after the, you know, no pun intended, wellness of the talent. Yep. Um, you know, they didn't have that for many many years, and guys are dropping like flies, and now they're now they're. They're doing the best they can to keep guys healthy to the point where, like, you got a concussion. You're not even wrestling. It's not one of those where you like you shake it off and you know you you live to fight another day. You know they'll, they'll they don't clear you until you're ready. Um, but RVD is a big one. I was thinking, I don't know how politically driven this was, but it led to their firings. Was when uh, Jim Duggan and uh, uh, Iron Sheik, yeah. Um, uh, got fired for uh, drug Cocaine possession, and, drugs, and uh, yeah, joints. Yeah, yeah um, alcohol as well. I think um, they got popped on the Jersey Turnpike, and Vince had to fire both of them. Uh, that's the famous story where I don't know if you've ever heard this. This is fucking hilarious. Where um, they fired Duggan and Sheik, and but they have them both drug tested, and <laughs> Vince and Vince goes to Sheik. He's like, uh, "Hey, pal." Um, Drug test back. Drug test came back and it's positive. And Sheik's like, "Oh, oh, positive. Oh, I knew it. Oh, thank you, Vince, so much. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, oh positive. Very, very good." He's like, "No, Sheik, that's bad. You tested positive for cocaine." He's like, "Oh, what do you mean? Uh, you know, uh, the 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 Jacob the Snake. Uh, he do the cocaine. He not test positive." And he like ratted out like everybody. He's like, "Oh, the JVD. He used to call Junkyard Dog JVD. Oh, the JVD. The JVD. He do the." drug too right he not test positive like they were like no this is not good like you we have to fire you like you tested positive for drugs and he thinks it's great that he like he's like oh positive very good thank you so much vince like you like it was yeah it's a hilarious story he just goes on he rats like don morocco out too a bunch of guys fucking he he's done coke with but yeah i i don't think the only thing that that changed was the trajectory of their story because they were both the thing was it was it was it wasn't politically driven that they were fired. Vince had to fire them because that was in a time where that was before he even copped to the, 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 the New Jersey athletic commission that it was predetermined that it was entertainment. It wasn't sport. Mm-hmm. So, and those two guys were in a rivalry at the time. Duggan was representing America and Sheik was representing Iran. And both of them were, you know, going against each other. This was when K Fabe was alive and well, and they're riding in the same car together, you know, yeah. which was like a huge no, no, um, Breaking well, politics of being yeah. on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they they were more they weren't concerned that these guys fucking did drugs because everybody did drugs. They were more pissed that a fucking heel and a baby face got caught in the same car mm-hmm. and it made the news, you know? So Yeah. 
Um, good stuff there. Uh, all right, let's let's kind of transition maybe. Uh, political characters? I mean, Jack Tunney, of course. But what about JBL? Or yeah. Or Million Dollar Man? Um, DiBiase... People sway. Yeah, well, I mean, DiBiase was... I mean, I guess you could say, like... I wouldn't consider him a political character, per se, because... He was just a rich guy okay. that just used his money to, you know, influence um, certain things in wrestling. He played politics yeah. because of the money. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, but he was just a rich guy that just pretty much got what he wanted because of money. JBL, on the other hand, yeah, you, I would consider him a, a political figure as a character. Um, you know, a rich guy, um, you know, in the stock market. Big, big with, big with the stock market. Um, his influence publicly, um, you know, as a character, definitely went a long way in WWE. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I would, I would venture to guess JBL. Um, even uh, you could even, well, nah, I was gonna say right to censor, but they were more or less like an activist type of group. Well, um, in a way, that censorship, it, you know, goes a long way and goes hand in hand with. Uh, Tipper Gore, uh, yeah. you know, adding parental advisory and kind of censoring wrestling. And then we'll go into more political things of, uh, I guess, you were talking about how uh, uh, he said he got positive and was happy about the uh, the results. <laughs> um, referring back to um, Iron Cheek. Uh, yep. There's an old, there's an old joke, a uh, dirty joke during the '90s. It was, uh, I forget what it was, but someone came up negative for HIV, and they were like, "Oh no, no, I came up negative." You know, seeing it the opposite way. Let's talk about blood loss and cutting and blading. Like that's political in wrestling, right? I mean, is that like to go against these TV censorships that we're talking about with Tipper Gore and these political characters? Um, and even WWF playing off of having, uh, you know, pseudo president people or come in actors come in and play pseudo presidents or people that are behind the scenes and political power, you know? Yeah, uh, you, I mean, you got your Jack Tunney's, your Gorilla Monsoons, you know, even Mr. McMahon, everyone who's been, you know, a, 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 an authority figure between Mick Foley, Regal, Bischoff, um, you know. The list goes on and on. Um, the when it pertains to the blood loss per se, you know, the use of blood um, from a kayfabe standpoint, I never really saw that as being political. Um, I'm trying to understand the correlation between the politics. As with, far like, as the, like uh, getting. Okay, so say like a guy blades during a match gets fined. Yeah, because uh, they don't want the blood because of TV censorship. Okay, here's a perfect like example. Yeah. Here's a perfect example of that, now that you mention it. Um, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Great American Bash, 1988 in Baltimore. Ended the match, um, right? The blood Luger's blood loss ended the match because the state athletic commission in the state of Maryland banned blood in wrestling matches planned blood and therefore um they called the match off 
they they mm-hmm. they, they they change the finish on the fly, which would then result in later years of promotions that ran through Baltimore, particularly the NWA, used to hire Harley Race to sit next to the guy that was at the at the at ringside from the commission in case he tried to fucking pull a fast one in a situation like that. Yeah. Harley Race used to be paid just to sit next to the guy and make sure he didn't call the match in the event that there was blood loss. And then Harley would have to tell him be like, "Oh no, that's fake. That's that, that that's that's you know, he, it's not real blood, you know." And some guys bought it and some guys didn't, but the, yeah, Luger's loss of blood in that match, or I think, yeah, it was Luger's loss of blood in that match, resulted in the Baltimore uh, Athletic Commission calling the match off on pay-per-view, which was a very unpopular decision. And there's also been things in like TV to where Duke the Dumpster Drozzy hit uh, Jerry the King Lawler in the head with a with a trash canister, and uh, USA called the network and uh, was not too much pleased with that, and. Uh, you know, then with the death of Chris Benoit and his family to head concussions uh, is kind of where I was leading to is the blood okay. loss and the head blows. Uh, the politics of wrestling have changed. We don't get too many headshots with chairs anymore. We don't right? get any. Yeah, yeah, we don't get any. You don't even get the shots where the guy puts his hand up in front of his head. Like they just go all to the back or the like the the midsection area. The guy the will toss a chair anywhere. from time to time now on AEW, which is really reckless because then it can uh, fly sa- off the handles and yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah I've seen Sammy Guevara do that. They're a little less they're a little more reckless. Although I believe after the Sammy Guevara Matt Hardy stuff, they've kind of toned it down with the chairs in the head because they. They were scrutinized at the um, the pay per view in August, September, all out mm-hmm. when Hardy when Hardy fell off that that scaffolding and yeah. hit his head on the floor, and the the doctor said that he was fine to wrestle, but you can clearly see on camera that the the doctor literally stood there for one. They they they, they fucked themselves and well, guess, and, and guess, got called out for it. Exactly, and guess what they they have to do now because of politics of outside wrestling, because of all those things that occurred with uh, head injuries and uh, you know uh, post concussion syndrome and everything that's CTE tied to Chris Nowinski. Gave them a little, uh, you know, tutorial of how to take falls and what's important and, and concussion protocol. Um, so yeah. politics of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His involvement in the Chris Benoit case and 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 getting permission from the family to study his brain really um, set things in motion in terms of promotions, major promotions, trying to. Um, ensure the safety of the performers and kind of toning down a lot of the, 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 the high risk stuff with the chair shots to the head, the bleeding, um, you know, AEW I think still allows the guys to, you know, cut themselves and blade on their own. WWE doesn't unless it's like a hard way shot. Although sometimes I've seen WWE use, um, like the fake blood. Yeah, um, the from time to time, yeah. the capsules, like in the mouth, um, for a while there was no blood at all. Even like if they showed old footage, they would change the color to black and white, mm-hmm. so you didn't see the blood. And then mm-hmm. sometimes they still do that, mm-hmm. but um, it just depends and varies on the situation. But yeah, Nowinski's involvement in that, and you know, uh, creating this um, this foundation that's you know studying um, you know former at like it's gone, it's transcended to the NFL. 
he, yeah. he works with the he works with the NFL now, and studying again, the brains Chris, of, of football players who have passed away, and resulting in the the CTE. Exactly, and again, Chris Nowinski is a guy who started with WWE WWF Tough Enough, yes. and you know, working his way up through this, the politics of wrestling, he has changed wrestling. Well, it also affected him personally too because he, got, he wrestled yeah. and he got hurt and he had to he had to step away from in ring action um, early. Um, but the but here's the funny thing about the concussions. You know, I would say funny thing, but what's interesting about it now um, is that you know a few years ago I should be when, playing the Looney Tunes theme in the background. <laughs> here's the funny thing about concussions. Do it, yeah, right. <laughs> um, the um, you know, a few years ago, when you know he started doing these tests and like, especially with Benoit. Benoit had the 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 the, the brain activity of a of an eighty year old patient with dementia because of all the years uh, of head stu- trauma. Of a stu heart. Of a stu. <laughs> sorry, his heart, his brain was stew matter, stew yeah, heart oh matter. Oh my god! Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Go ahead. And and uh, he um. You know, you, you saw the results, and it really, like, took, you know, it, it kind of knocked the wind out of the sails for wrestling and really made him wake up and notice what they what they kind of have to do now. But then, you know, Daniel Bryan, for instance. Daniel Bryan in 2015, you know, wrestled a match, had a concussion, and he was done, and he retired. And then, you know, with the way modern medical science has evolved over the last few years, you know the 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 hyperbaric chamber treatments are also, helping. Yeah, adding flexibility re, in the vertebrae, which is re, a big re, thing. Revitalizing the brain. Yeah. You know, and and a lot of these athletes that that have suffered from concussion issues are going that route. It's not cheap. It's expensive. I mean, you know, it's it's not cheap at all. But you know, you go through these hyperbaric chamber treatments, and Daniel Bryan managed to you know revive his brain. Uh, better than it was before he had all these concussions. Uh, Joe Namath, another guy, fo- fo- famous football player. A nameless um, Joe Namath. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Joe Namath, you know, is in his 70s, I, I believe, 70s, maybe even, you know, almost in his 80s, I could say. Um, he had a lot of concussion issues in football when he played, and they didn't have all this kind of medical treatment. And he started doing these hyperbaric chamber treatments, and he did like 120 of them over a course of like two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his 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 mental capacity. His brain is is of an active thirty six year old, and he's in his seventies. It's crazy. Absolutely. So the the when it comes to like the safety of the wrestlers and the 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 um the awareness within the 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 overall state of professional wrestling, we're definitely you know the business is definitely in a better place than it was before. Um, and yes, it's a very political issue, but I think it's a very political issue that everyone is on board with. There's no differences in terms of, you know, the safety or lack thereof of the talents. It's not like, you know, you know, oh, I don't think it's that big of a deal versus, oh, this is a major deal. I think everyone's on board that, you know, it's all about caring for the safety of the talents. True. And we've talked and we've discussed about some of the bumps that AEW guys have taken recently in the safety of their characters as well as to the lackadaisical things that WWE has presented to us where we can see clearly Randy Orton falling on a mat off of an ambulance and uh, 
you know, just like the presentation differentiates because of these political things that actually bring real life, um, you know, results to these these guys who are independent contractors risking their lives for us every week on TV to do simple yeah. matches. Um, last little topic, and then we'll get off here. Let's just go classic red versus blue. Raw versus SmackDown. Isn't that funny? Um, and how Survivor Series is kind of portrayed as in recent years or some years it was a commissioner or a political person of power picking his cabinet of his best members of red versus blue and the ways of which raw and smackdown are kind of booked you know yeah um yeah i mean the the red versus blue very ironic because of you know red versus blue in in in, in american politics um yeah um the, the the survivor series element has gone through its ups and downs in the last like i would i would say probably the last like 20 something years um where survivor series used to mean something and then it didn't this has been their attempt in the last few years to create some excitement for the brand by having you know raw versus smackdown red versus blue and having these matchups um you know and they 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 try to you know, filter politics into the story of guys positioning themselves to try and get a spot on the Survivor Series teams um, or get spots in the champion versus champion matches and things like that. Um, but at the same time, like, I feel like the way that they they construct the draft so closely to Survivor Series, it's not really like a matchup, a long-awaited matchup that we've wanted to see because you might have saw those two guys on the same brand three months ago wrestling each other, but now mm -hmm. they're going to wrestle each other in a Survivor Series match, whether it's a champion versus champion or an elimination match. But do you um, think they're doing that? It doesn't that feel like, fresh. Do you think that they're doing that because of the political nature of November in American politics as far as um, voting? I don't see that, me personally. Um because I, yeah. I, I did for Teddy Long versus, um, <gasps> what's his name? Johnny Ace. Oh, uh, Laurinaitis. That Be was at WrestleMania, though. I know, but we're talking about Survivor Series the year before. They they did have teams. Uh, you know, they captained teams or they picked their teams for SmackDown or Raw. And it's a red and blue brand. And we're looking at Johnny Ace, who is... You know, the atypical white male, and then we have Teddy Long, who is the TV portrayed black male, and then we have red versus blue. It just like, to me, thinking of politics and like things outside of wrestling that influence wrestling, that is definitely a, a like zonal thing that I think about a lot of how Raw and SmackDown are booked and how characters are portrayed on each show. I mean, you know, I know that you know. Full disclosure: you're you're very involved in, in in politics, just based on like your social media in terms of like who you stand for, who you believe in. Uh, me personally, I'm not a registered voter. I don't have any dog in the fight. Um, you know, I, I I I think the political system in our country is very very one-sided with both those parties and right. i think there needs to be more options but nonetheless my point is i don't follow politics enough for me to grasp that 
theory when it comes to the way Raw and SmackDown are presented, and especially with Survivor Series. So I don't see it, but I mean, you might be, you might be because because you follow it more, you might have a better you know perspective on it. It just mirrors that that aspect, and I'm not saying it's necessarily like Raw is always Republican or. You know, SmackDown is always uh, Democrat because they've yeah, switched, yeah. they've switched roles throughout the years, and yep. as far as like heel and face or whatever. And I'm not I'm not like I I'm a I'm a sway voter, so I'm a swing voter. So I will I will vote with what I think is right. And again, like I agree with you, there are better options. But if the way the electoral college is set up, we have to vote certain ways. Getting out out of the real life things and talking about wrestling stuff like our podcast is based off of um, red versus blue. I just think it's 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 a political sway of like NXT, uh, you know, like these brands branding and like identifying now has become the American way of uh you know, identifying with who you vote with, who you stand with. And it's kind of sad in a way. Um, if if we could all just kind of work under WWF, that would be great. But then that's a monopoly or, a, you know, socialism or communism or anything like that. But I, I'm just talking about, like, we have to decide on red versus blue versus NXT in their booking for... Survivor Series and and brand dominance, which is always presented to us. Um, I ju- I just want to hear your thoughts about just what you think about just that that aspect of like a company feuding within itself or companies feuding with each other for politics right now because we have the Wednesday Night Wars, quote unquote, which uh, oh boy. A lot of politicking going on there. Um, as far as like the interworkings of like the brand feuding, like it, like I said earlier, with the draft being so close to Survivor Series, I just don't really buy that these are like big time like interbrand matches. Uh, because, like I said, two guys facing each other, you know, in, in a champions match, you know, was seen three months ago or four months ago, you know, and they're mm-hmm. just on different brands now. Um, and I think also too the intermingling of the brands because they need to you know um, change things up on the fly so much. That's the biggest thing when it comes to the brand extension in WWE. That in the last several years they've been better at it, but in the beginning it was a fucking free for all. Somebody would show up and be like, "Wait a minute, wasn't he on SmackDown? Why is he on Raw now?" And they would never explain it. And guys would just jump around, but like, "Oh, John Cena, he could be a free agent wrestle wherever he wants." Undertaker, same thing, but a this guy's got to be on this show. Though. You know? Yeah, no, true, true, but I mean, um and then when it comes to the Wednesday Night Wars, um yeah, there's some politics involved in, in in terms of um, you know, trying to slow down the process of, you know, a newer brand like AEW coming in. Um and the, the, the pot shots that, you know, AEW kind of takes at WWE and NXT for being on Wednesday nights and things like that. Um, and they have responded subtly, right? Like, I feel like they have, but then again, now they're like, NXT, I feel like, has taken their own direction and been like, no, we're comfortable with what we have, but 
at the beginning with that rivalry with AEW, it was, you could see it was call and response. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was there was counter programming, and there always will be. I mean, it's been going on since the beginning of time, yeah, and we, we talked about it earlier. You know, with Crockett and yeah, marking out the days. I mean, they're gonna, you know, they're, they're gonna. If you don't counter program, then you're then then you're then you're looked at as an asshole. You know, like if you're if you're not trying to get your brand out there, um, but you know, if you if you do put something out there, then you're a dick. It doesn't matter, you know what you do you're going to get criticized regardless um there it's going to be looked at as a political move or it's going to be looked at as a weak move that you're not doing anything in response and then the wrestling fans will blame you for not fucking trying to entertain them because that's what they do um <laughs> so no it's true i mean it's like I know, I, i've seen I it before, you know i've at least in this instance with when it comes to you know nxt and aew you know these like They'll, they'll, they'll put out a show, you know, a special or whatever, like a bash at the beach on AEW, and then NXT will do something like, you know, a Champions Night where all the titles are defended or something like that. And it's like, oh, you're counter-programming. It's like, when I was a kid, especially with the, the Monday Night Wars with Raw and Nitro, I didn't give a shit that fucking Nitro had a main event for the world title and Raw was doing a big show with, like, a battle royal to determine a number one contender or, like, I didn't care. That was more wrestling for me, you know? That was more, yeah. you know exciting content for me. And that's why I look at on Wednesdays. Like, all right, if NXT wants to do a Halloween Havoc special and AEW wants to do a champion showcase night, so fucking what? You know what yeah, I mean? Like, it's like, it's almost like you want the other show to suck, you know? But then at the same time, if the other show sucks, then you're going to complain about it. So it's like, then, then, then there's, the, you want to talk about politics? Then there's the politics of wrestling fans with each other online. Oh. Like, that's the, like, to me, like, that's like, that's become a thing in the last few years, especially with guys that, like, have Cap their own wrestling off. group. This is, this is, yeah. Cap us wrestling like group page, yeah. like, wrestling group pages on social media is ridiculous. It's a fucking Facebook page, and all right? everybody includes, like, they're like, what do you think about this match or that match? And then people will shit on it. And then it's like, what do you think about this, that, or the third, or like people come up with memes or reshare things or topics, and it just becomes like a people re- get upset. It's yeah. like what the fuck? Like I remember, like when I used to debate wrestling with friends in the Monday Night Wars era, and it was like, no, this is better. No, this is better. But then at the end of the day, it was like it was great wrestling. We didn't fucking argue. Now you tell someone that you didn't like what you saw in AEW, you're a Nazi. And the same goes for NXT too, or even Raw and SmackDown, or a pay-per-view, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like it, there's, And then the group pages that these guys construct, you know, I mean, I have a page, obviously, with Kicking Out at 2, um, and I try to keep everything's positive and friendly. Um, and, and for the most part, it's been that way, even with people have discussed and 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 debated topics uh which is very few and far between i just get a lot of likes on pictures and posts and things like that not too many comments but goddamn these pages like if you're an admin for a wrestling page and someone doesn't share your opinion then you're blocked right you know what i mean like oh, i'm gonna block you because you told me my opinion sucks like you know or you didn't well, tell I me think my, that's a my... relative way of the politics of now is kind of like reserving your gimmick if I can kind of wrap it up in a way, like, yeah. isn't reserving your gimmick kind of a political way of, like, retaining uh, attention in wrestling? Which, it's political. It's, you're, you're moving people or, like, helping out your brand as far as if you're a wrestler or a promoter or anything like that, like, you, you gotta live your gimmick for it. Like wrestling is a different different beast, right? 
Yeah. Here, I'll give you a perfect example of what politics are, okay, when it comes to, like, wrestling social media groups, okay? So, I'm a part of a group, and I won't name the name of the group, but they are a, a, a Facebook group that was created based off of a group of wrestling fans that travel to WrestleMania every year, and they... They donate to the Connors Cure Foundation, the pediatric. They're not an official WWE-affiliated charity, but they are a charity that donates to Connors Cure, and it's and it's all you know okay. cycled through like fans going to WrestleMania. Okay, I'm not going to name the name of the group because you know there's some good people in the group, but for the most part, the Facebook page is like any other freaking wrestling group page. People have their opinions. They post pictures, um, and then the admins of the group they don't like put they don't they. They'll police what they want to police. They'll play favorites. So long story short, somebody posted after the after the George Floyd murders um, earlier this year. Um, you know the the whole world reacted to it, and that's another topic for another day that I will not get into. But nonetheless, the the after the George Floyd murder, um, Brandy Rhodes had made some sort of post about how she felt like. She felt attacked on social media because, um, as a woman of color, um, she was being attacked by other fellow African American people on social media, for and they were blaming her for not doing enough for someone in her position, you know, to spread awareness regarding racism in the country. And she was like, she was like, either I'm too, either either I'm not black, like. Basically, the gist of the the the, the converse the, the the post was she felt like either I'm not black enough for 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 black people or I'm too black for white people or something like that or I'm I'm you know I I'm technically a white person because I'm married to a white guy like she just vented her frustrations about how like people lashed out at her for her lack of response. Regarding this George Floyd situation, because she's an EVP of AEW, okay, right. or the CEO or the chief, the CBO, the chief brand officer, right? Okay. So this group posted her thread, and people were going after her and like name calling her. Like, it was just disgusting. And then I explained my interpretations. I commented on the picture and explained my interpretations of her tweet or her post on Instagram or wherever social media platform it was. And I was accused of being a racist by the admin of the group because mm. I did because I had a respectful disagreement back and forth with another person in the comments in that thread who just so happened to be African American. This admin accused me of targeting him and disagreeing with him because he was black. And I was floored because, number one, I have family of color, okay? My, I have, a, I have, a, I have a, you know, and of different ethnicities and nationalities, okay? I know this is very cliche to say, but one of my best friends in high school was of color, all right? And so, and I, and I, I'm still friends with him to this day. We don't see each other as much, but he'll always, you know, he's he's always got a, you know, welcome in my home. Um, and we've never talked about, you know what's been going on recently but the politics my point is the politics behind this group 
is just fascinating to me considering that their goal as a group is to raise money for a charity to help cure pediatric cancer. Right. And the way that they allow people to conduct themselves on this page, you know, it's 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 appalling. It's 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 astonishing. And then one of the admins of the group accusing people of and going after people of being racist publicly. He didn't do this in private. He addressed me in the comments. And then I even went to the guy who I was disagreeing with and I said to him, do you think I'm a racist because I disagreed with your opinion regarding Brandy Rhodes's interpretation of that post? And he said, no, absolutely not. I never thought that. Mm. So to me, I just felt like, and I feel like, and it's transcended with social media that anything, it could be politics, it could be wrestling, it could be television, it could be sports, it could be anything under the sun. You have that platform to express your opinion and voice your opinion. And because you have that platform to express your opinion and voice your opinion, you automatically think that that opinion of yours is correct. Mm-hmm. And then when you and then when someone disagrees with that opinion, then you turn political and attack someone over anything. And you know, if you're like especially if you're an admin of a group, then you'll just block someone. You know what I mean? That's where the politics come in. And it's just, it, and especially with wrestling groups, like I hardly comment on stuff because, God forbid, I say something that rubs somebody the wrong way or disagrees with someone, and my intention wasn't that, then I'm an asshole, and then it, and then it escalates, and I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. So, well, I like to your degree, Dave. Like I'm a big proprietor of, um, and you know, I'm a wrestling like purist as far as like I like old school wrestling. Yep theory um the the male on woman violence in wrestling and the booking of that that's my political view like i like you know i have a hardship with that like i i have a hard time like accepting that and like going forward with that and having certain stories be told with uh violence with women and men in wrestling when wrestling yeah. was more of a, a men's thing, and I know that we need to be diversified and we need to include everybody, and we're we're trying and working on that. But at the same time, you and I like like we're discussing here, no hardships felt. It's just what we perceive as better entertainment and forms of viewing. Yep, um, absolutely. So I it, like consider wrestling the fucking western of entertainment but nonetheless this has been fun talking all this wrestling and uh the episode that we have here on catching up um man it's been a good time yes it has been i it's been a pleasure i appreciate it and uh i look forward to catching up with you again soon yes indeed uh plug yourself one more time and then we'll get off the air uh, Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Like us. Got links to archive shows up there as well as our Twitter handle at kicking out two. K I C K N O U T and the number two. Um, you know, give us a follow over on Twitter. I just like to have fun over there. Talk old school wrestling. Bring up your memories. Uh, no bullshit. No politics. Just, you know, talking wrestling, having fun. And, uh, you know, that's it. Yes, indeed. No bullshit. No politics. As always on Retromania. 
And you can find us on any podcasting app by searching Retromania with a W at the beginning. Podbean, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, search us. And if you have any requests, follow us on Facebook by searching Retromania with a W at the beginning. Dave, I had a good time. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to the next one. Take care, bud. Take care.